Okay, so I want you to be assured, okay, that there's a lot of background noise, but we will continue. <laughs> okay, you, must, you are assured that Jesus said words of like, you know, you're going to face many things. He said in Matthew, these things must take place, then the end will come. Okay, don't worry, because I've overcome the world. Okay, that's our assurance. You're hidden in Him. That's the power that we have. Stay hidden in Him. Don't walk out on your own accord and try and do things on your own. Then you get afflicted by all these things that come against us, and then you want to blame the church, and you want to blame God for everything. Hide yourself in Him. Okay, so last week, we read Luke 1, and we narrated and played out Luke 1. I think we should hand out some Best Actress and Best Actor Awards. Okay? Hint, hint. Thank you, Elizabeth, Jojo. Yeah? But what did it do to Luke 1? It brought that story alive a little bit, eh? We couldn't kind of do that again this week, you know, just to try and play that out. But for those that weren't here, we acted out Luke 1, where Elizabeth, you know, fell pregnant and Zachariah in the temple, and we saw the reality and the truth of the Word coming alive. But there's something very powerful reading public Scripture. Now, to build up to that, who of you often go to the same store, the Woolworths, the pick and pay, the checkers, and you become familiar with the shop? Okay, until they change it. Who dare change it, right? Because when you walk in, you know exactly where you're going to go and find those chicken breasts. You know exactly where the milk is. You know exactly where the bread is, and you just go straight there, right? Because you're familiar with it. Okay, so it's a habit. It's a rhythm, which is actually not bad. You kind of know the groove as you walk into Okay, you have your own house that you live in. You have a rhythm. You have things that happen in your home. You know exactly where the coffee, coffee cups are. You know exactly where things need to go. And you try and train your children to put them back where they found it. Put the toothpaste on the lid. You know, things like that. Rhythms that we have. But you know, that's life, that you have these things that go and happen in your rhythms in your life. But you also have spiritual rhythms that become good habits that we build into our lives. Okay, and one of those things is coming to church and gathering together with the saints. So now I worked out that we've been in this building for 17 years, and I've probably been here nearly, well, most Sundays. There obviously are times you're sick, you're away, you do whatever. But if I was here for 17 years, for 52 weeks, that is 884 Sundays. I, think, I don't think I've walked into Woolworths that many times. Okay, but you see what that's created is a rhythm. Okay, now that's apart from all the other prayer meetings, all night prayer meetings, worship times. That's probably a thousand times I've gathered to worship God here. What's that done? It sets a beautiful rhythm in me. The same goes with reading the Bible and reading the Word. Okay, there's a rhythm. And I've said this a hundred times here. You don't read the Bible to get something out of it. You read the Bible so that it builds into you. Okay, and as it builds into you, then when we face what we faced over the last while, you can stand because you know you're hidden in Christ and you know that Jesus came to, to set everybody free and oppress people, uh, to, to set people free of oppression from the devil. Okay, then the power that comes with that. Now, the public reading of Scripture is a very interesting journey of how it came to the point where a lot of what we do today with rhythms that the Jewish people had in their times. Now, you go right back to Moses in Deuteronomy, where he read publicly, read the law to the people. That was the first time that we saw that happening, and it was set in place that every seven years, they needed to publicly read the law to the people. 
Now, if, you read, if I read the whole of Deuteronomy to you this morning, we would be here for quite a while, okay? But the people listened, allowed the word, the law, which means the way, more than a legalistic heaviness, the way. This is how I want you to live. If we follow those things, they build into us, okay? Now time progressed, and then the reading of Scripture started taking place in the synagogues and the temple, but there was no temple from 583 B.C., for 586 B.C., there was no temple. So the synagogues were the places that kept the rhythm of Scripture being read. Every week, there was a portion of Scripture. And then what used to happen is the person would read a portion of Scripture, and the priest or whoever was the rabbi, the teacher, he would then articulate and teach a part of that Scripture that's been read and translate it so that everybody can understand it. Okay? The, there were different rules. There were different things that played out over time, that even children, but when you turn 12, you were able to read the law because you were now considered a man, okay? And you could publicly take part in the reading of Scripture in the synagogues, okay? They had the difference between, you'll often have rabbis repeat whole sections of Scripture because there's a difference between the oral law, okay, and the written law. Now, you'll see times when God said to Moses, write this down. They regard that as the written law. So that you are able to read that out. The oral law where God said, hear what I'm saying. If you honor God or what he was doing, they actually wouldn't read that. They would have to recite it. And guys would recite the whole book of Numbers. Okay? If in the holidays, Robin, you just go and learn Leviticus for us. Okay? It's the easiest book in the Bible. And then we'll test you on the 8th of January. And you just recite Leviticus to us. Okay? There's a difference between the oral law and the written law and how it was read out and how it was pronounced to the people in the congregation that was sitting in the synagogues, okay? And essentially, that is where we get the rhythm from in our meetings, where we read, publicly read Scripture, we worship, and we share in it, okay? So that this rhythm is probably one of the best things you can put into your life because it gives you life. Who, who experienced the touch of God in our worship this morning? He's alive. He's with us. It gives context the power of the word is alive for us, and we honor it with our lives, and that's the, what we're going to do here this morning again, is we're going to read through Scripture and allow it to speak to us. So we, last week, did Luke 1. Okay, this week, we're going to do Luke 2. Okay, and uh, anybody feel like acting out those parts, it took us far too long to rehearse. Okay, and put everything in place, so I'll just do the reading, and I want you now to, to get into the story. Okay, there's a lot of background noise, just focus. Focus, allow the story to play into you, okay? And as these, these kids are with us here, let's go to the next one, Bella, and we'll, we'll go from there, okay? During those days, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Okay, so just give some context here to who all these people are. Caesar of Augustus, he was adopted... He was, his maternal uncle was Julius Caesar. And he was adopted, basically, to become part of Julius Caesar's family. Okay? If we can, just try and keep the children down, just slightly. It would help me. Okay? If we, we can just help a little bit with that. It's not a free-for-all. There's normally just one person speaking. If we can help parents, please. Okay? Okay, he ruled for 45 years over the time that Jesus was born. So he ruled from 31 B.C. to 14 A.D. Okay? And so 
Julius Caesar ordered that the first census be taken throughout the empire. Quirinius was the governor of Syria at the time, and everyone had to travel to the hometown of their family to complete the mandatory census. So Joseph and his wife, Mary, left Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now it's quite interesting when you look at this, how all Roman rulers, okay, thought that they were gods. They elevated themselves as gods. But here is a man taking a census for himself to see how big his territory is. But just down the road, the true incarnate God, a little baby, was about to be born. And this man who elevates himself, but yet the story was unfolding for all of mankind to see this Jesus arriving here. Okay, so they arrived in, in, and they left Nazareth. Okay, so even though they lived in Nazareth, the Hebrew meaning for that word Nazareth means branch, okay, the prophecy would need to be fulfilled that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. Okay, children, where, where was Jesus going to be born? In Bethlehem, not Nazareth, eh? That's why they needed to travel. Correct, you're listening, just checking. Okay? Okay, now Nazareth was an insignificant little village. They, were, they would say there were probably about only 500 people at that time that lived in Nazareth. And from the whole area of Galilee, for the Roman rulers and all the, the different kind of rulers of the times, when they named all the villages and towns around that area of Galilee, they would often leave the little town of Nazareth off because they didn't see it as important at all. But yet, where does Messiah come from? It speaks from the word Nazareth, okay? And they journeyed to their hometown in Judea, to the village of Bethlehem and King David's ancient home. Now, Nazareth was probably about 105, or Bethlehem was 105 kilometers from, from uh, Bethlehem was 105 kilometers from Nazareth, and they walked. So 105 kilometers is about Yedu Amanus maybe, right? Is Amanus about 100? It's about 100 Ks. Okay, so Neil, we're going to walk to Amanus. you got two chances. Okay, that was the mode of transport, obviously, the day. Bethlehem, meaning house of bread. And they say Bethlehem had probably about a thousand people living in Bethlehem over that time. Just, you've got to put it in the picture now. It's not massive. Okay, there's a couple of hundred people here. Just add a couple of hundred people. You will know everyone in the room. Okay, think about it from that perspective. Okay, Bethlehem was a long city, a town known way back, was mentioned in Genesis 35 and 48. It was, it was originally called Ephrath, and Micah 2, 5.2 helps us to kind of see this ancient name, okay? And this, this little town was quite interesting. It was, it was the setting of most of the book of Ruth that was spoken about. Most of that setting from that book took place here in, in Bethlehem, and Ruth was David's great-grandmother, okay? And this is the birthplace of David, and also where there's a place where Samuel, was an, where Samuel anointed David to be king. Okay, let's go to the next slide. They were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor and there she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped the newborn baby in strips of cloth and Mary and Joseph laid him in a feeding trough since there was no available space in any upper room in the village. Now, most translations will use the word in, 
and even our drawings and pictures here, we have been taught that this was some Airbnb that Jesus and Mary and Joseph were trying to register and book in, okay? The, the reference and how this works is that actually it probably wasn't an inn, okay? The translation is not, it was probably, what happened was is that the upstairs levels of homes were used for when guests came into town, okay? So if your family are arriving here over December time, a lot of the time your family come and stay with you, okay? Meaning that there was no guest room available because all the family have traveled to Bethlehem for the census and journeyed there, so there's no place to have in any of the homes, okay? So it's most likely that Mary and Joseph needed to stay in the downstairs section of one of these houses. Now, the downstairs section was used where the workshop or the business that that person ran would operate from the downstairs area. And that's the part where they slept. And why there were probably animals in there is because all frail animals that were maybe injured or needed to be cared for were kept inside at night so they're protected. The other flock was left outside. That's why there were probably animals within. It probably wasn't a stable and it wasn't an inn. There is some historic kind of calling of that it was actually a cave and there was a part where the manger was a bedrock that was cut out of the mountainside, okay? But the reality of them needing to stay in a downstairs section was because of everybody in town. There was no room for them, and we understand how the story plays out, okay? So it wasn't a fully-fedged barn or stable, okay? That night, next one, that night, in a field near Bethlehem, shepherds watched over their flocks. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them. Now, many scholars believe that these fields, that these, these shepherds were looking after, were the fields specifically nurtured for animals or lambs that were going to be used as sacrificial lambs for the Passover. So to, you needed to tend, they needed to make sure that these lambs were tended and cared and kept for because they needed to be without blemish. Nothing broken, nothing bruised, nothing hurt. So this field was a place for them. And then amazingly, these shepherds were the ones that would hear the announcement of the great coming lamb. Okay, see, all the little things in the word that just give us stories of the lamb of God that was going to come. And they say that possibly those fields are the same place where Boaz's fields were, okay, and could well have been where David also tended the flocks of sheep in Bethlehem on the same field. Remember, there's only a thousand people that lived in this town, okay? Let the story become real to us, okay? Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with blazing glory of God, and the shepherds were terrified, okay? I don't, I don't know any of you that have seen an angelic force, but you will be terrified. But the angel reassured them, saying, don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you very good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard, and it is for everyone, everywhere. The announcement is coming, and we play out for us. Next slide there. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord, Yahweh, the Messiah. In that one line, what's been happening there, Lord, Yahweh, Messiah, is basically confirming the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ means that he was fully man, yet he was fully God. He wasn't half man and half God. God came in human form. 
there's that old song that I remember listening to a man who disagreed with that. He said, he came and he said that he laid aside his majesty. He said he didn't lay aside his majesty. He was all majesty. He was just a baby boy. And he would grow up understanding who he is and walk in the fulfillment of that. But he was majestic. He was our Lord. He was our King. The deity of Christ was confirmed just in that one sentence. He is the Lord, Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by, his, by this miraculous sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Okay? This was the sign that they would know that this is the Messiah. To them, wrapped in strips of cloth. Now, see the amazement of just that small detail which you might overlook. Are you guys okay at the back? You find there, you don't want to find there. Lots of other seats. You okay? All right. Okay, good. If we go to Micah 5 verse 2, it says this. It says, but you, O Bethlehem. Okay, who? And it says the Ephrath, which was the name given of old of Bethlehem, but it's the town we all know is the same place. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Now remembering those shepherds on the field looking out, they would have watchtowers that they would look out for predators, animals, protecting, ensuring that these sheep here are blameless and are ready for the Passover lambs that they would need to look after. And what they would do, they had a watchtower, and when one of the ewes were about to give birth, they would bring the ewe into this area and it would give birth to the, the baby lamb in that kind of area. And what would happen, the baby lamb to protect it would be wrapped up in strips of cloth and put into the manger, the feeding trough, as a resemblance of keeping it safe so that it wasn't bruised or blemished, which was an exact representation of what our Messiah Jesus was, wrapped as the Lamb of God in, the, in a trough representing the Passover Lamb. Okay? The word never misses a beat. The story is our story. Okay? And how the, the resemblance, all these things that played out for us. Okay? This miraculous sign for those priestly shepherds would be a baby lying in the place the Passover Lamb would be laying. Then all at once in the night sky... A vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armies of heaven, and they praised God singing. Can you, can you imagine heaven's, heaven's response? It's been silent for 400 years. Okay, now within the last year, all of heaven is like in action. It's rolling out, yes, and they get to sing over these shepherds. They get to play all these things out. They are, they are, heaven is coming to earth to set a whole new order in place the beauty and the power of what is happening. And they start singing, saying, glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of men. There's another version that will say, their good will among people with whom he is pleased. Okay? And God was pouring out this to his people. And when the choir of angels disappeared and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's hurry and find this word who is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. Now, interesting, the version is saying word, that word, word there. If I read the ESV version of Luke 2 verse 15, it says this, And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known among us. That word thing is rhema. Okay? You often hear people say, I have a rhema word. Okay? The word rhema speaks of power, speaks of the word of God. Okay? They went to go and see the living word. Okay? That was there. The living word in flesh. The rhema of Christ. Come on, see all these things hidden in the truth of this passage. So they hurried off and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a feeding trough. Upon seeing this miraculous sign, now understand, these priestly shepherds understood when this baby was lying, as a Passover lamb would be lying, this must be the Messiah who's come for us. The shepherds, upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted what had just happened. Everyone who heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they were told. Remember, there were only a thousand people and maybe more people in Bethlehem at the time because of the census. Okay? If you have something exciting to tell, you could probably tell most people in this room by the, by the time you leave. They were talking to people. Do you know what's playing out here, guys? Do you know what we saw? Do you know what's happening? And I love this next verse. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and often pondered what they meant. Now think about it. Mary visits her, 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 her Aunt Elizabeth. She has an encounter with this angel. She's immaculately uh, conception. She's been carrying this baby for nine months. Okay, Candace. How far are you, girl? Six months. And she's done. Okay, now it was a lot more hotter because it was probably around January time that actually Mary fell pregnant because Jesus was born actually near the end of September, beginning of October. Okay, and we can work that out according to Zechariah's priestly order. And he was a part of the, pride of the tribe of, or the order of Abijah or Jebba or something like that. And the timing was that he would be on in around September or the timing of when Elizabeth fell pregnant, it's probably Jesus was born around end of September, beginning of October. But I bet you, you lie at night wondering about this baby. What's, what's it going to be like? How, how am I going to cope? Okay, just think, think, think of Mary. She pondered these things in her heart. What's, what's going to happen? How's this going to play out? You know, she had questions. She had thoughts. And then without advertising it to anybody, she told nobody people started arriving for the birth of a baby. She, she didn't tell, they didn't advertise this. Everyone knew she was pregnant, but then the shepherds started arriving, pulling in and celebrating this child. You can imagine the thought process as a mother. You've all had that, moms who've been pregnant. I remember the one thought I always had when Ella was in Kathleen's belly, is that I love her before I've even met her. You know, this was her son. <laughs> she was carrying Okay, see the reality, the pondering, the thoughts that she had, understanding this. And the shepherds returned to their flock ecstatic over what had happened. They praised God and glorified for all they had heard and seen for themselves, just like the angels had said. It was confirmed to them. This is the Messiah born to us. They've been waiting for hundreds of years, knowing that it will come through the line of David. Because Mary and Joseph are both descendants through the line of David. And this was now confirming it. So on the day of the baby's circumcision, 
ceremony eight days after his birth, his parents um, gave him the name Jesus, the name prophesied by the angel before he was born. So 40 days after the birth of her son, Mary's time of purification had completed, and she would then come to the temple with a sacrifice according to the law of Moses. So in Leviticus 12, it speaks about if a woman gave birth to a child, there would be a 40-day period of purification. For her to finish that period of purification, she would have to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice to God. That's what Mary and Joseph, they were following the traditions of the day and presenting Jesus at the temple like we do all our baby dedications here. This is the story. Okay, he's presented and he's before God to say, this child is yours. Okay, but so she was going to offer a sacrifice to God because of what um, her period of, of, of um, purification was over. So Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to Jerusalem to be dedicated before the Lord. Now, now just think about this. The temple that they walked into to dedicate him was the temple that Herod had built. The temple in 586 before Christ, B.C., was no longer. This was Herod's temple that he had built. The Ark of the Covenant was not in this temple. But who just walked in? Or who was just carried in to the temple? Come on. God Himself. Not in a box, but as a baby. God came into that temple that day. <laughs> what a moment, eh? Malachi 3.1 says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before him. John the Baptist, okay? And the Lord whom you seek, listen to this, will suddenly come to the temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That was 400 years ago. 3.1. 400 years ago, that was prophesied. And suddenly he will come to the temple. No one knew what was going on. Only a few people were aware what's playing out. See the story unfolding here, guys? Come on. Okay, why they came to the temple to dedicate him for the Lord? For it stated in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be set apart for God and is required to offer a prescribed sacrifice, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, people are saying at this point that Mary and Joseph were probably not very well off and they couldn't afford a lamb. So they were going to present, instead of a lamb and a dove or a, or a turtle dove or a pigeon, they were offering two pigeons or two turtle doves to the Lord. Because what had happened yet, the wise men had not come to visit them yet. Those riches, we'll look into next week, the riches that those wise men brought them sustained them and helped them to live and help them to travel, and help them to do everything. They hadn't had that visit yet, okay, from the wise men. Okay, and Mary offered a sin offering to the Lord in these offerings before God, showing her need of a Savior. And little did she understand or know at that point that in 30 years' time, 33 years' time, her son would be the sacrifice that would die for her and her sins and for all the world. But yet here she is offering a sacrifice before God to cover her sin. But she's holding the baby that will pay for the price for everybody. Come on. 
As they came to the temple to fulfill this requirement, an elderly man was there waiting, a resident of Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a very good man, a lover of God, who kept himself pure, and the spirit of holiness rested upon him. Simeon believed in the imminent appearing of the one called the refreshing of Israel. For the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he saw the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Keeping his promise, the Holy Spirit led Simeon to be in the temple court at the very moment Jesus' parents entered to fulfill the requirement of sacrifice. Talk about divine appointment. Talk about being in tune with the Holy Spirit. Talk about believing a promise that will be fulfilled in His day. I don't know who's the oldest person here. I don't know. We'll go, Herman, I know you're 83, hey? 83. Yes. Anyone, any, 80? 83. Anyone surpass 83? How old are you, Bernie? Okay. So you're a good age. Just wait. There's a story coming of 84. We'll get to that now. Okay. You, you, it says Simeon was an old man. He waited his whole life. His whole life for this promise. But I want to remind you of what we've been speaking about over the last weeks. God doesn't lie. If he gives you a promise, he will fulfill it. But what do we have to learn to be? Patient. We've got to trust. Because you can make up promises for yourselves and force God to do something. But if you truly know God and you hear Him speaking to you and that promise is laid upon you, you will learn and you will know what it is to wait and to trust and to be patient. And here is a man who's, who's the evidence of that is right there. And the Holy Spirit's and said to him, now, go to the temple. <laughs> You're going to see the Messiah. Jesus is 40 days old. 40 days old. <laughs> so Simon cradled the baby in his arms and praised God and prophesied. Imagine this pent-up word that he's been carrying. And it's now time to release this prophetic word over the Messiah. <laughs> and he says this, Lord and Master. I am your loving servant, and now I can die content. For you have fulfilled your promise to me. With my own eyes, I have seen your word. The Savior you sent into the world. He will be glory for your people Israel, and the revelation light for all people everywhere. Just those few sentences fulfill about five or six or seven different Old Testament prophecies just in that moment, confirming that this is the Messiah. This is the, the Christ, Lord of all. And I love this response. It's like, we, we kind of think Mary and Joseph just kind of knew what was happening. <laughs> they were just being obedient. They didn't know the full story. And yet it says here, and Mary and Joseph stood there awestruck over what was being said about their baby. Hey? Simeon then blessed them and prophesied over Mary, saying, A painful sword will one day pierce your inner being, for your child will be rejected by many in Israel. Now think to them, what? Wow, what? 
Just think, getting into the story, understanding. And the destiny of your child is this. He will be laid down as a miracle sign for the downfall and resurrection of many in Israel. Many will oppose this sign. But it will expose, listen to this carefully, it will expose to all the inmost thoughts of their hearts before God. The power of the risen King Jesus, that is still happening today. Hearts are constantly being exposed before God. The work of Jesus that said He came in grace and truth. All Jesus will do is a little baby, He was starting to unravel this journey of Israel, understanding who their Messiah was. Okay, it still happens today. A prophetess named Anna was also in the temple court that day. She was from the tribe of Asher and the daughter of Panil. Anna was an aged widow who'd been married only seven years before her husband passed away. And after he died, she chose to worship God in the temple continually. For the past 84 years, she had been serving God with night and day prayer and fasting. Okay? There's some commentators that say that the temple courts and place actually had place where people could live. And Anna lived in one of those houses there. So she was continually in the temple, fasting and praying. Some say that she was 84 years old, okay? But reading some of the old texts and looking back and understanding from the, from the uh, Greek and Aramaic texts would state that she had been in the temple for 84 years. Okay, so if her husband, she'd only been married for seven years, and she married, normally they married as like teenagers, she would probably be around 106 years old. Okay, and she also had waited, and waited, and on this day, she saw the Messiah. Come on. And while, while Simeon was prophesying over Mary and Joseph the, and the baby, Anna walked up to them and burst forth with a great chorus of praise to God for the child. So how does she know this is the baby? She knows that she knows because she knows the Spirit will speak to her and reveal that to her. From that day forward, she told everyone in Jerusalem. Now there's not 50,000, 100,000, a million people. There's 1,000 people. Or may, sorry, Jerusalem would probably be a bit bigger than Bethlehem and Nazareth. She told everyone. <laughs> in Jerusalem, who was waiting for their redemption, that the anticipated Messiah had come. And when Mary and Joseph had completed everything required of them by the law of the Lord, they, they took Jesus and returned to their home in Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, now it's interesting in the story of Luke, so just, I mean, ponder that thing with Anna. She'd waited for years. Guys, again, the promises of God will never fail us. If he has spoken, it will come to pass. You hold on to that truth. Don't let go of the promise. There was somebody that put a book, I don't know, listened to his one sermon, that he, he transcribed all the promises in the Bible. There are over 3,000 promises to us as his people that we can hold on to believe because he's not a God who would lie. And as the story goes on here, you see Luke doesn't write the story of them having to flee to Egypt. Okay? And the baby Herod's, Herod's ordering to kill all the, all the newborn babies in the, in the area. Matthew speaks about this part. We'll look into next week. 
Luke says nothing about the wise men. I'll talk into that a little bit next week. There were not just three. Okay. Three people arriving don't cause a scene. A lot of people arriving cause a scene. I'll explain to you next week. But wait, there's more. Matthew says nothing about the shepherds or Anna or Simeon. Luke speaks into that story. Okay? And it's interesting, Mark and John, the, the both Gospels, they hardly have anything of this section of the birth. He's, John speaks about the Word, and then uh, John the Baptist and Mark gets going straight away. They don't go with the story. Okay? And it's there for us to look at, but I keep reminding you, Jesus is not a baby anymore. The world is trying to keep him as a baby. He's not a baby. He's ruling and on high. Now, now a lot of time passed between these two verses. Okay? The child grew more powerful in grace, for he was being filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to worship at Jerusalem during the Passover festival, and when Jesus turned 12, his parents took him to Jerusalem to observe the Passover as their custom. Who's 12 here? Anyone who's 12? Zoya, you're 13, girl. We chatted about that in the car yesterday. You've moved on. Anyone, anyone close to 12? Are you 12? Okay. Close. You're 11. You're close. Okay. How old are you, buddy? 11. Come stand here quickly, pal. Come stand here quickly. Okay. What's your name again? Hey, Daniel. That's right. This young man, next year, will be 12. Just put it into perspective now, okay? When's your birthday? 15th of November. 15th of November, so you've got a long way to wait, okay? And also, we must pray for this family and Michelle. Her husband is in New Zealand, waiting to try and get visas, and this family is trying to get to their husband in New Zealand, and it's Christmas next week, hey? So we're going to believe that God's going to make a way for you guys, okay? But I want you to see something here, okay? The reason... The boy turned 12. When, when a young man in Jewish tradition turned 12, they would start calling, he, he would become a son of the law. Okay, he would have what's called that bar mitzvah that would recognize him now as a man in society. Okay, next year, 12 and 13 are very key ages. You know that, eh? Because it's walking into being a man. Okay, but thanks for your help, pal. Okay, my butch, you can go and sit down again. Okay, now the mention of 12 is quite important here as well because it speaks of the perfect alignment with the father's plan for his son, okay, of the, 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 the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 apostles, being 12 months in a year. At the age 12, a Jewish boy would start taking responsibility of his behavior. His parents would stop disciplining him, and he would now take responsibility for his behavior. Parents, if your kids are 25 and not taking responsibility, it's time for them to face up. If they're 35 and still living at home, we need to chat. Okay? So he would then be taken as a 12-year-old to the synagogue, okay, and read a portion of the law of Moses, okay, and then he was considered as a man. And then he would, what he would do is he would partner with his father in whatever trade or whatever business his father was, he would then start working with and for his father. See how this is playing out here? Last few slides. A full day after they began their journey home, Joseph and Mary realized that Jesus was missing. A full day. A full day. 
We've had half an hour and realized, where are the kids? No, five minutes. They had assured he was somewhere in their entourage, but he was nowhere to be found. And after a frantic search amongst relatives and friends, Mary and Joseph returned to Jerusalem to search for him after being separated from him for three days. They finally found him in the temple, sitting among the Jewish teachers, listening to them and asking probing questions. Now, let I explain to you what happened here. Okay, what happened was when they traveled distances like this, the women would travel ahead, and they would probably travel for around, it says 15 miles, which is about 25 kilometers every day. The women would go ahead and set up the tents, prepare the food, and then the men would arrive. I don't know how well that would go down. So what we, what we are doing this afternoon is we are preparing the food for the ladies to come and watch the soccer. Okay? <laughs> Times have changed. Okay? That was the culture and the tradition of the day. No one was complaining about it. It's the way things worked. Okay? So what would happen is a boy under 12 would travel most times with his mom. Okay? And he would be with his mother and they would go on ahead. When they turned 12, they would then travel with the men. Now you can see why they don't know where Jesus is. Because Joseph is assuming he's with Mary, and Mary's assuming he's with Joseph. And then Joseph arrives a full day later. Where's Jesus? Can't find him. And they realize, they ask, he's not with them. Okay? They had to travel back to go and get him in Jerusalem. Slide 18. All who heard Jesus speak were awestruck at his intelligence. Now, he's sitting with the teachers and the rabbis of what was being discussed at his wise answers to their questions. His parents were shocked to find him there, and Mary scolded him. Sure. Scolded the Son of God. She's still realizing this is my boy. You need to listen to me, buddy. Okay? Son, he says, now, your father... Joseph, and I have searched for you everywhere. We've been worried sick over you, not finding you. Next slide. Why would you do this to us? And Jesus said to him, and this is, this is now the first recorded words of Jesus, our Messiah. He's, listen to what he says. Why would you need to search for me? He's basically saying, I'm also a man, I'm 12 now. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be here in my father's house, consumed with him. Was he saying, I'm about my father's business? That's what they did. Joseph, yes, he, he, he became a carpenter and he carpenter, but he, he, Jesus was starting to understand who he was. Mary and Joseph, again, yeah, didn't fully understand what Jesus meant. Jesus went back home with them to Nazareth and was obedient to them. How powerful is that line? He was now a man, but he still was under their roof, and he served his father in his carpentry business, and he was obedient to his parents. Children, listen to that. His mother treasured Jesus' word deeply in her heart. And as Jesus grew, so did his wisdom and maturity the favor of men increased upon his life, for he was greatly loved by God. Now, and now we hear nothing of Jesus for the next 18 years. Nothing. 
until the day when you start reading Luke 3, he comes, not yet. He doesn't make wine yet. He comes and John the Baptist recognizes him. He said, behold! And he sees him. Because they, they must have known each other. And then he knew it was his time. For 18 years, we had nothing more about Jesus. But allow this story, folks, as we wrap up here, to be your story this season. We'll, we'll do the Christmas story every year. There's the repetitiveness of it. We don't, unfortunately, preach this in July. We don't talk about this in March. But here's that repetitive rhythm I'm speaking about. Every year we get a moment to look at the story again and to ponder the miraculous order that heaven was playing out that would work through the Son, Jesus. To set about an order that we are now all partakers of. And we've all been set free because the sacrificial Passover lamb of Jesus has paid the price for all of us. Remember, this is our story, okay? And the world I've said here before is trying to keep him as a baby, but he's not a baby anymore. And I want to say as we wrap up here, you saw two people hold on to promises. As we are finishing a year that's been a, a year of momentum and lots been going again, we are walking into another year, the promises of God will not fail you. Amen. Hold on to those truths. Hold on to what God is saying to us and saying to you because if He is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Amen. Amen. We just need to double check on some pictures here that have been drawn. Okay? Eddie boy, did you draw anything there, pal? Hey? A moustache man. Okay, that's, that's fair enough. Okay, who wants to tell me about their picture? What did you draw? No, no, no talking. Okay, I think we might just leave it there. I'm not getting much response from the floor yet. Yeah, what did you draw? That Christmas tree again. Okay, well done, my girl. Awesome. Thank you, children, for being so good. I saw that is a beautiful picture with your hands. Now, what story was I telling everybody? Can you tell me what story was I talking about? Who was I talking about today? I was talking about Jesus, hey? And he came just as a little child like you guys. He was once 12, just like you, Palmelli, eh? Amazing, eh? But he grew and was obedient to his parents. And God raised him up as the mighty Messiah. Amen? Come, let's stand together and honor our king as we go from here. And sorry, it's quarter past. But it's a good story to tell. See, this, this is part of the new covenant being unfolded to us and unraveled on how Jesus has set forward His work in motion here on earth. So, Lord Jesus, we honor You in this season. We thank You, Lord, for this miraculous story of how You and Your full deity of fully God, yet fully man, came to represent Your Father and to show us a greater way. In our minds, Lord, we don't keep you in the manger. We see you seated on high. We see you reigning. We're knowing you will return and you will judge all the wicked. You will set in order on this earth. But until then, we hold on to the truth that you are our risen Christ Messiah. We thank you for the story that we can go back and remember the incredible miraculous form of the whole heaven setting in order a new way for us. And we thank you that we are partakers of this way that we get to follow and we get to live in and through you. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your faithfulness. And we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Have a fantastic week. We will see you next week at 9 o'clock to celebrate even more our King Jesus.